0: Oh, yeah, let me get those.
1: This is Jacob ross with JLB Morelia. This
0: is Justin Smith of Almetto Coast Exotics.
1: You're listening to The Herpeticulture Podcast. Enjoy. I feel like it's going to bother you this whole time. It's always going to bother me. You're going to get up in the middle of the recording and probably turn it off so you may as well do it now
0: no because it's also hot i'm not gonna bend
1: well then leave it i'm fine with leaving it good good well
0: this is the beginning of episode 93 of the herpetoculture podcast i'm justin smith of palmetto coast exotics i'm
1: jacob brods Joby morelia
0: the show is brought to you by mp cages and exotics
1: and steve snakesuary
0: venom hot sauce rex Custom cages, all that good stuff. You hit up Steve for the hot sauce. You hit yeah. up
1: Sean for the cages. And you're just, you're set, bruh. You're, set. you're so set. You will be living large.
0: But uh, we're gonna have Nick Gordon from the Abronia Alliance on here in a few. I figured we'd get some Daytona stuff out of the way. Talk about that a little bit. All the awesome yeah. stuff you missed, cause someone didn't go. <sighs> and I need my notepad. So I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Ooh, I have yeah, a feeling I'm gonna like this a bit. lot more.
1: Jake is using a new mic. Yeah, I gotta make out with this thing though.
0: You have to get all. You have to get on it. I gotta get like all I up in there. I up the gain a lot.
1: Sorry. Right. Yeah, I no. I can still I, turn you up some more. I, I like the way two. it sounds. Like I can tell it's different. Definitely. Like I said, I gotta, I gotta French. This, I gotta French this thing a little bit, but it's, it's all good. good. You gotta choke yeah. up on it, you know. Yeah.
0: And my, our master was down a little bit, I so it actually cut us down a little bit.
1: I don't want to choke on it, but, <coughs> you know.
0: Um, So, how was your daytona this weekend?
1: I moved a bunch of furniture out of my grandma's house. Oh, that's house, right. I forgot. So that. there was that. I didn't have much of a weekend, to be honest. I was moving furniture all day Saturday, and then seven hours worth of driving also on Saturday. And then Sunday, moving more and shit.
0: So So I've got a weird idea. I was thinking about this on the way over here.
1: Oh, yeah. We
0: need to change up the lighting in here and make it a little more, like, moody. Moody. We totally need to get some, like, Christmas lights up on the ceiling. Oh, my God. I got that
1: laser thing. (laughs) I
0: thought about freaking turning that on. Yeah. Let's
1: do it. I have a little dance party. Are you going to do it now? I'm going to do it right now. right now. So I'm just going to like freestyle a little bit real quick. No, I'm just
0: kidding.
1: Alright, so Justin has the box in his hand. He's opening the box. Styrofoam. He's dropping things everywhere. Classic. Classic Smitty. Dropping stuff. Now he's holding. And he just stepped on something and uh, hurt his foot. Dude, how are we gonna see it if it's not dark? This shit don't even work. Look at this. What a freaking disappointment. Just like my life. What? It didn't work in there. Oh!
2: That scared me! What the hell? That
1: was a loud noise. Yeah, startled me. Alright, so maybe not. Well, nice, nice job. Sorry, you have to go sit in our trashy garage. No, you're fine.
0: What do you think everyone else's garage looks like? Um, a
1: I don't have a garage, so... I'm going to say yes I'm just to agree with doubtful you doubtful
0: of that. You're welcome. Come on, buddy. You're on my computer floor. Go on. Okay, so oh, yeah, what a bummer. With this now. I tried. I just, like, wouldn't it be cool? thought about even taking, like, a sheet or something and hanging it over this just to soften it a little bit. Yeah.
1: Just get it moody. super soft. Super soft, bud. Mm-hmm. You ever watch Letterkenny? Kenny?
0: No. God,
1: man. Why, everyone talks about it. It's hilarious. I, I don't understand. It's one of the greatest shows out there, man. What is I it about? I highly recommend it. It's about Canadian guys in a town called Letterkenny. Kenny. It's in Canada.
0: Sounds It's hilarious.
1: It is. It's hilarious. It's one of my favorite shows. <sighs> well, speaking of shows, I mean, yeah. How was Daytona? Daytona you was just, cool. like walked away when you're about to.
0: Daytona was all right, as far as the actual show itself and like selection and like tables and variety, it was okay. It was okay. Give it a solid, like B plus six to light seven. Six to light 10. seven
1: out of ten. It all was right. al- It was okay. Yeah, that's not. There
0: was a ton of Bairds, which I thought was awesome. Was, yeah, it's because I mean, of you, probably. When I say ton, I mean we're talking like less than 20. Yeah. but was, That's still more
1: than last year. Everybody's I mean, saying, oh, Justin Smith's and the Bairds. Let me get me some mm, Bairds. Actually,
0: it might have been more because Travis Weisler had some again. Oh. But they had gone up in price considerably from last year, too. But it sounds like everything was more expensive than normal. I mean, just out of curiosity, what was the ballpark on a Bairds? You could get a pair of normals from Ron Allen for one, fifty a pair. The Mexicans Dang. were one fifty each. Woo! So,
1: woo, buddy! You got a Mexican, didn't you? I got a pair of Mexicans. Oh, yeah! Whoa, Whoa. big baller, shot caller. Um,
0: and then Travis Weisler. Like last year, they were. I could have sworn I got one for sixty from that table, from Travis Weisler's table. And they've gone up, but I could be wrong. They were 125 at his table, and then Sunday they dropped them to like 80. But still, like 125 is more than it was last year. I can almost
1: promise it. Yeah, any like, just rat snakes in general. That's that's pretty expensive for a rat snake. Like I didn't, I paid that for my pair.
0: But what I what I found was odd, is that you know last year there was like four tables with rough skills, right? Yeah. There were no rough skills at the show. Oh. I don't know if people are just like holding on to them now. I don't know why prices were higher. Maybe it's because of COVID. People are trying to like get yeah. as get as much out of the show weekend as they can because people are there like I don't know, but Yeah. There were some northern pines that I really wanted. Those were like oh, 250 a pop. Oh man.
1: Which is kind of, a, kind of a lot from what I've seen online. I've seen them yeah, cheaper. I, yeah. Yeah, uh, that at 250 a pop. Mhm. Yeah, that's pretty hefty, but but that same table
0: had a pair of uh, like king rats for like
1: fifteen hundred or something. What? Yeah, just normal Chinese. Which
0: I think so. Which I think Billy was like, that's that's really high. Yeah, that's. But he got high. a pair. I think he got a pair of king rats. He bought some and picked some up while they were there. Oh, I didn't yeah. really get to see he him or play with them a whole much but they were pretty cool looking.
1: Boy, I picked my cuz I bought a pair of king rats while I was like king rats while I was living in Texas When I moved. I only brought the male with me. female stayed um with my ex. But uh-huh. I think I paid I may have paid 400 for my pair.
0: Oh, well, let me like,
1: tell you that. I, yeah, that was several years ago, they're, but They're more popular now. Yeah
2: ghetto coaster here. It's so
1: crazy how species like that go through such waves, yeah. man. Like look at the Dumeril's boa. Mhm. Prime example. They weren't they weren't worth but a couple hundred bucks back in the day, but now
0: they weren't worth a witch's titty on a Sunday. A witch's titty on a Sunday. Huh? But so that's pretty cool. Same thing as last year, too. A lot of corn snakes. Not a... There was a lot of balls, but, like, there were more tables with corn snakes than anything else.
1: Like really? It was crazy. Wow. That's Which I thought was me. cool.
0: Yeah. Like, it doesn't bother me.
1: No, but. not at all. Um, Dude, I want a nice pair of oak so bad. It's killing me.
0: Craig Trumbauer had some really nice buckskins. I had messaged him before the show, because I was interested in maybe getting a male for that female I have, because that go... They would go together very well, because mm-hmm. the phenotypically, they're very similar, and, uh... He's like, yeah, they usually sell out
1: pretty quick, and like,
0: sure as hell, Saturday morning after like two hours, Craig's like, I'm sold out, peace, like,
1: <laughs> like all of his. Snakes? I mean, he only had
0: between ten and fifteen animals on his table, but Jeez, still, oh, like, man, yeah, first, like before noon, he was like, all out, Jeez. fresh out, bro, I'm out.
1: damn, yeah. man, that's nuts.
0: But I got that transpacos rat, which is really cool. I oh, think it's so freaking cool, I tried man. feeding it
1: last night and it didn't eat, so... Oh, that's
0: a bummer. To, apparently with males, it's really not that big of a deal. It's pretty pretty common. Um, so I got the bairds. I got the... The, uh... sabak I got... I don't think... I got that naoda. I got the, the scrub from Phil. Yep. He's in the other room. That's why I couldn't think of him. But... Uh, yeah. I mean, he's cool. I fed him a big old rat yesterday. Apparently, Phil's been, like, dancing around, feeding him larger meals. I'm like, dude, get this guy some sustenance. Yeah. He's like, I'm afraid he's going to be overweight. I'm like, I don't... I feel like scrubs, it's probably harder to get them to be overweight than
1: No, than I mean, I don't think... I wouldn't say it's harder to get them overweight. They do have a slightly faster metabolism, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. But they're, it's kind of the same deal as the carpets. Like, they can get overweight but not really at at that age like those will just grow a little faster at that age the overweightness will come like when they're older i think that's pretty much with anything like snakes will get overweight like yeah if you feed them bigger stuff you know more often they'll just kind of grow really fast until they hit that mature age and well, then they'll start getting fat i don't
0: even know how old he is i don't even think phil knows how old he is
1: he's probably about three based on that his size be unless he's small I mean, to being that he's a tan bar, he could be older.
0: No. Yeah.
1: So, because uh-huh. I mean, to be honest, like being a being a tan man, he's he really won't get much bigger. I mean, he'll he'll gain some size, but he, he's not gonna get.
0: Yeah, I feel really bad because he's bigger. in a
1: thirty-two court right now. Yeah. But
0: it's a quarantine tub right. because he had some mites, and so I'm treating him. And as soon as we're done with that, and like everything seems fine, I'll bump him up into something a little bigger, probably right. a one ten to start until i can get one of those 200 quart tubs which are being a real bitch to find right now at least in our area thomas Irvin was like yeah "Yeah, we got them upstate no problem but down here i don't know what it is i don't know if it's back to school i don't know if it's people like prepping for like hurricanes and the end of the world or what but right walmart's tub section here has been like run dry for weeks like every time i go in there to get something i check to see if they have any of those tubs and I need to just buy the bullet and buy it on Amazon. You can get a three back on Amazon yeah. for sixty bucks. It's like if I keep they're two of them on hand, I'm tubs. gonna use them. Yeah, exactly. sixty bucks is the same price, yeah. if not a little cheaper than Walmart.
1: Yeah, I mean like that. That's so, what I'm saying though. It's the same price, but they're just expensive, man. I want to show you this one rat, this one tub. I want to, I want Sean to make a rack out of for, for me.
0: I'm breeding mice now. I took over my dad's mice. Are you for real? I'm Where are they? Mice. They're at his house in that bar oh, outside. So you're doing them. Yeah, I was going to go over there and clean them this morning, but I didn't have time, and so now I'm going to try and figure out if I can do it tomorrow because I don't want to have to wait until Sunday. Damn, son. so I need to pick P and Cody's brain about that whole thing and how they rotate theirs and
1: keep track of everything. I want Sean to make me a rack out of one of those. That's I'm, not far that's off from the 110s we use, yeah. Yeah, I think, that I think there might be a little wider. I like, well, I like the smoother... Yeah, side. they have the smooth bottoms. Like
0: if I use one of the the one tens, like that we've been using. Yeah, I'd just put it like a Draco portal on each end of that yeah. bevel. It's really annoying that they're
1: like that, but yeah, I but, mean this one is thirty four long, eighteen wide, and twelve high. Yeah, so be solid. The. Uh, Overall,
0: weekend was really good. I enjoyed hanging out with yeah. Phil and Carly and Dominique and Billy Ugh. and Anita and Matt and Jamie and uh, Casey. All the peeps. All the peeps, man. Oh, I'm now, so Mike upset. Arnold. Oh, Mikey. It was fun. So I mean, that's the reason I'm pretty much going
1: to Daytona anymore. It's just, and that's yeah. I figured that
0: out last year. It's just, it's the hanging out with everybody. Yeah, like, the show's just a nice bonus.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like we really only get to see those people, you know, once twice a year at either Carpet Fest or Daytona or some other show if, you know, we're fortunate. think like we haven't gone to any other ones, but. So it one ain't going to be Tinley because Tinley got canceled. Yeah, Tinley already it. got canceled, yeah. Until all well, it got kicked to November, but
0: who knows what's going to happen then? It's yeah. election month. It's going to get crazy. crazy. Things are already getting crazy here, man. Yeah, man. All the stuff going on. People need to chill. Chill. Chill out. Everyone calm down. No yelling on the bus. <laughs> Turning this bus around damn quick. Oh, my God. I love that movie. <laughs> Goo! <laughs> so, I'm looking forward to next year. We're hoping to, Vin, for the magazine next year. Might have some animals, too. Depends on what we're looking li- by then i'll have some beards. i'll have some other stuff yeah i got that cyania clutch those are still looking really good and so i think i'm in i'm in good shape with those even though it's only been a week i guess but no chondros yet i'm gonna pair i just decided i pulled them i separated chondros i'm like i'm just gonna pair them in like november december yeah be like feed them light start feeding them again come like thanksgiving and then put them together and make it happen. I just f- I figure with the first time and the timing of everything, like that's that's when it's going to happen.
1: You, you don't think no. you should pump the food now and then let off come Thanksgiving time or about a month before Thanksgiving and start pairing come Thanksgiving? No, because I think that's how fad Sauls at TLS does it. He's mm. I forget. I'll have to look through the messages, but yeah, they're like winter breeders. Well, yeah. So you so you would pound during the summer months. And lay off come fall, and then start pairing come winter. Mm. Or start pairing. I mean, fall I don't feed mine a ton, really anyways. Oh, I feed. Yeah. Them, I feed them big, like medium rats. Oh yeah,
0: I'm not. I'm yeah. Once a month, once every other month. Like yeah. I keep mine light, you know. Yeah. I just. I got you. <sighs> Stick to your carpets. Look, man, I'm just trying to help, all right? God, I'm just it's the, go superior <laughs> <laughs> <They didn't laughs> the superior Merlion. You say really. that. Um. Okay. Is there okay. anything new with you? Anything going on breeding wise? Anything like that? Obviously not. I it's mean, August. I got, what am
1: I doing? I got the white oak rat you snakes. You did get the so white oaks. I didn't get
0: to, I didn't take a whole lot of, like, I got them from Chris. I was like, cool, bye. Like, they're alive. Sweet.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Scamper on back down to wherever I was scampering. Yeah.
1: But, yeah. I those are pretty those. cool, man. Yeah, they're pretty sweet. I like them a lot. How does it feel to have rat
0: snakes back
1: in the fold? I'm geeking, man. This is going to be slippery. Very, very slippery. Those Jants and
0: I, like, one day, you got to see those things when they're, like, turned on.
1: Yeah. Like, there was a few times where I was
0: putting one, like, when I found the male the other day. So, backstory. Went to go treat those two because there were, I I saw, like, one mite in the water bowl of the female's tub. So, I just started treating both of them because I was like, surely they both have them. Treat them anyways. When in doubt. Treat them out. Treat them out. Uh. So I went to go do the male first because I haven't seen them on him. So I was like, I'll go ahead and hit, get him knocked out. The female I know has him. So I'll go ahead and treat her last, yeah. which is what you're supposed to do. And I cleaned out, like pulled out the hides, like the floor hides, the plants, the the foliage and stuff. I was like, he must be in the mounted hide because he's not under the big hide. Pulled the mounted hide off. It felt awfully light. Like I could tell when they're in there because it has some weight to it. Yeah. It wasn't in there. And I was like, shit. Well, my child had told Katie. At about five thirty, when you walked into the shop to drop oh, off your frontline, it was that that's snake? what that was. No, man, how <laughs> she's big like, is it? She's like, there was a gray snake in the kitchen, like along the kitchen wall, and she's oh and God. Katie was like, how long was it? And she was like, it was like a foot. Which I mean, she's seven, so I mean, I mean, how big? in a foot. He's about two at least, two and a half. Oh, wow, I was gonna say I thought he was pretty <laughs> decent. And so she was like, there's a snake. There's a gray snake along the wall, and so I, I thought it was a Baird's. So I had Katie go through the rack and check, and everyone was accounted for. So I was like, we just wrote it off as she was, She's. we've been cutting her back on TV. So we were like, maybe she's just bored. She's just, just tripping. Her little seven-year-old imagination is yeah. just running wild. We were like, whatever. Well, then I got home. Uh, I did Joe Phelan's podcast with Phil mm-hmm. as like a D- Daytona recap. And then it was like 11. I started treating and that's when I found out that he wasn't in there and so I was like Ellie was right it's been like 5 or 6 hours since she saw him I have no idea how long he had been out before that Jesus. and so we started tearing the house apart I told Katie she wasn't happy and <clears throat> tore the house apart looked everywhere under all the furniture every nook and cranny, every closet I checked the pantry but I like because she saw him on the kitchen walls like, he has to be somewhere in like the living room the kitchen or the little foyer when, as you're first walking in the front door like, yeah. the, the coat closet or something. I checked the coat closet, like, four times. I don't know why. It's, like, it's... You just... You get that sort of feeling. Yeah. Like, like this, this sort of intuition where you're, like, it it feels... doesn't make sense that it would go all the way to, like, our room or all the way to, like, Ellie's room. You know, it was just... It was strange. So, we looked around for probably a good 45 minutes, maybe an hour, and I decided to go check the pantry again, and I'm, like, I had my cell phone flashlight and I'm looking, and I see him just curled up under a can of breadcrumbs, and some other stuff on like the fourth shelf up. Like he was up there. He wasn't like it, which I figured. I was looking up. Katie was like looking down and under stuff. I'm like he ain't gonna be down there. <laughs> <laughs> he's going up. <laughs> he's gonna be up somewhere. And sure yeah. enough, there he was. Slowly pulled off all the cans and stuff. He was pissed, and I told Katie I was like he's gonna, he's gonna go, he's gonna go for it when I when I take off this last can. He's gonna do it. And sure enough, dude, they're like. <sighs> They're, like, the closest thing to black, i Mambas that I've, that I've seen. I'm sure Patias are probably very similar, too. But I've never right. kept Patias, but in my experience with what I've kept, like, these guys are very, like, twitchy. Yeah. And so, like, he it yeah. out, like, the first, like, third of his body from the shelf and just sat there and did, like, the slow tongue flick. They do that tongue flick that's like, oh, in slow yeah, motion. It's yeah. really weird looking. And uh, and so I, I grabbed him. And they oddly enough, neither of them have, tr- like, taken a swing at me when they're out when I put them in that little tub to treat them while I'm cleaning their cage, I'll hear them hit the side. So it's very odd. Like, when you have a handle on them, they're like...
1: Well, what do I do tough, now? Right?
0: <laughs> but if you don't have a handle on them, they're like, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, you know? yeah. can,
1: <laughs> so, we, can we turn you down in my headphones a little bit? No. Is there a way to do that? You're hitting you're hitting, hitting, hitting a little in the spot. I'm sorry. In my head. Now you're good. Um. So, was, luckily I found him. Yeah, that's good. I figured
0: out it was probably a lid of that tub. It wasn't on very securely. So you I, put, it? I put four of the heaviest books I have on the shelf on there. The old the old book.
1: The old book Good method. cage lock. Yeah. The old book. it will be out again in another week or so. I'd check. Usually
0: I can see their tail hanging out, or I can see their little face just sitting there, kind of like the boy yeah. could do. Like I can look, and as soon as they see me, they're like... Meep. They disappear. Yeah. So.
1: yeah, I've been checking on the rat snakes like every day just to make sure that they didn't slip out through one of the holes yeah. in yeah. the top, man. Because like I've got them in like a lid. Um, I've just got them in like a tub with a lid on it. You know the real, the real the, like that those those ones right there. The exact uh, blue stir the blue handle stirlight ones. They're the tightest six cords I've found, in my opinion. Um, but I could just keep checking them every day, to make sure they haven't they can't slip out the vent holes or out anything man i'm not used to something so small i have to go buy pinkies i don't have got pinkies dude how many pinkies do you want well i don't know give me yeah i'll take some i got plenty i'll give you some before you leave just remind me yeah sweet (laughs) yeah i definitely need that. i
0: got the mice now buddy yeah all right but other than that that was the excitement for the weekend that was like the icing on the cake uh we need to go ahead and get nick on here yes because it's been a hot minute and i feel bad cuz we're like 22 minutes in you <laughs> probably fell asleep there? Yeah. hey man what's going on not much can you hear me can you hear jake yeah can Jake's... you
1: the more important part is can you hear me
3: <laughs> yeah i can hear you both loud and clear
1: awesome can you hear that jake can you hear you loud <laughs> Maybe it's that mic, man. Hey, it might be, man. I, I got know. Jake a new mic. No, because so. the the last two were the same. Because the one before that didn't work that great either.
0: Okay, so, I'm trying to yeah. think of what that one even was. I don't was know. that the the ones that came with the stands and stuff? I don't even remember. Yeah, that's well. Those yeah. are those are the same. Like those are the same kind of mic. This is uh, different kind
1: of mic entirely. Oh, so. Okay, well there you go.
0: I'm very anxious to see how this sounds after. Oh, old, old Behringer! I like man. it. Sound it sounds better. Like I like that it doesn't. We're not picking up every
1: background noise. Yeah, I like it I like a it lot. F- yeah, like I said, I gotta. It feels like you're whispering in my ear, but I gotta. Oh, you know, I know you like that. You must love this mic. Pretend you're Phil. <laughs> oh, I'm whispering I was about to say, uh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, knobtails. <laughs> was that pretty? That was actually pretty good. <laughs> we yeah.
0: Love you, Phil. So. Um, sorry that it took us 23 minutes to call. We started talking no, about... No, no, you... Okay. We started talking good. about Daytona and my my unapproved Ganyasoma yeah. stroll in my house and yeah. all that good stuff. Hey,
3: but, you got to recap everything. I get it. Yeah.
0: I was like, S- we
1: can do this quickly. Snake's getting out. What else is new, buddy? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I actually...
3: <laughs> Go ahead. I actually today had to do a um, run out to Indiana to pick up some animals for the zoo, and uh, I ended up listening to your guys's uh, cobra uh, episode. It was a, oh yeah, that was a pretty sick episode. Yeah, Just, man. Ooh, Kyle all those awesome. rock rattlesnakes and the vipera and stuff, man. Those are those are some sweet species.
0: Kyle's That's one the you Phil did. Yeah, you yeah, weren't there yeah. for that one. No, I wasn't.
1: Don't know I'm where saying. you were, but there. I don't remember either. I had to cancel for some reason. Um,
0: what was I gonna?
1: We're off, man. It's been two weeks. I know, and man. We, it we, has we been. Two. I had people weeks. messaging
0: me, going like, "Did you guys? Are you guys like taking a break?" I was like, "No, it's just the last two weeks. Like, we've had stuff going on. Like we're Thursday th- night, I was packing for Daytona. Like Thursday we're, before we're that."
1: We're just on a
2: break. Don't worry about yeah. it. We're fine. Yeah.
0: But it's, it's really? funny that, like, I'm, I've just come to the conclusion that Soma and me, it's just bound to Oh, happen. that's
1: right. Yeah, Rhino. Uh, yeah. Even Terry
0: Burwell messaged me, and he's like, of course it got out. And, I was like, <laughs> yeah. and I'm not even kidding when I say this. Like, it got out, and I was like, man, if Terry hears about this, he's going to give me endless amounts of shit for it. Jesus, man. <laughs> I just, dude, I didn't. I, it's so frustrating. Everyone thinks that I can't keep a snake in a in a enclosure without it escaping. And it's like I went like ten years without losing a snake. This house is <laughs> cursed.
1: Yeah, it's like Amityville. Dude, dude. no, you, it's not the house because you lost the Rhino at your dad's. That was as we were moving though. <laughs> no, it doesn't. The know. house was paid you for, and then
0: things happened. No,
1: no, no, because you lost one at Doug's. That was when I was moving. Dude, what?
0: I'm telling you, man. Dude, we set foot here. in this house. It must get be on, like, an Indian that burial crap. ground or something. Get out of here with that crap. I set foot in it, and snakes started get sick. Maybe uh, how come it? none of your chondros have gotten out? One has. Well, that's just sad. Has, has
3: a chondro ever gotten out? Like, I'm pretty sure you could just leave a chondro, like, cage or tub open, and they'd just sit there.
0: And that's exactly what happened, and this one didn't. She, uh, was, uh, she was in the laundry room <laughs> on the little wire rack behind the paper towel staring at me. I didn't even tell Katie. Uh, I so. gotcha.
3: Dude, one time me, must know. have been raining or something. I, I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, probably.
1: Dude, one time <laughs> I walked into my room and I had left one of my three-foot cages just completely open. I mean, not not like the door down. The door was up, but none of the locks were on. It's so easy to push that thing forward. She was still in there. I was like, oh, what a good snake. Gave her a little pat on the head. Good job. Yeah. Thanks for not I actually <laughs> had,
3: the, I had that happen with an abronia. I left for work and left the cage like cracked open and I was like, oh man this is going to be miserable trying to find this thing It's still just chilling in the cage like <laughs> okay well that, that works
0: <laughs> well i mean the, the nice thing about chondros and i guess ganyasoma too especially like the true ganyasoma like the oxys and the jansen i like they're going to be up somewhere they're not going to be on the floor like the gray bands yeah. were which one of the gray bands i never even found
1: long Are you gone serious? yeah
0: one of the gray bands gone
1: forever I, that's never happened to me. I've it's, never lost lost the snake. They
0: probably, it it probably left, found the rhino rat snake, and now they've like Milo and Otis their way. Oh my god, out somewhere <laughs> in the woods, hanging out together.
1: Your escapees, but
0: yeah, it's it got to the point where gray bands were. Be, w- Ellie found one in the hallway, and she's like, "Dad, there's a gray band in the hallway." Like at I the remember point where it was that. Like, it's oh just like every god. other it's day. Like, is one was of a just
1: slipping out,
0: man. Is that one level on the rack, man. You better believe now in that rack. I've got like two paper towel tubes flattened, as flat as I can get them, and they're shoved under those tubs so that they're like flush, flush.
1: Why like, don't you just find a tub that's slightly smaller that can still fit in that slot with a lid on it?
0: Because it's a rack. What the, that's the whole point is you don't have to deal with lids.
1: Yeah, I know, but if would you rather have snakes loose? That's all I'm I'd saying. rather just
0: put paper towel tubes under the tubs and then I don't have to worry about it. Well, Once yeah. they get to a certain size, so- they're good. So with
3: the lids on racks, though, you would you would be uh, mistaken if you think that lids will keep them in, even if there is still a little bit of a, sp- a space. I had a ball python when I was in college, and I had, like, I don't know, like 20 or something in my room, and I had fed them right before I went back for a Christmas break, and my buddy was supposed to be, like, checking on them, which he, like, never did, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, they're snakes, so they were fine. Well, she ended up either not finishing the rad or regurging or something and left it on the heat pad. Oh, my So I walked God. back into just the most god-awful Ooh, smell.
1: It's like one of the worst smells. Dude, that makes me yeah. gag just thinking about it. My God. Oh,
3: it was so bad. And it was like because I had my door sealed up so snakes couldn't get out. Ooh, so it was like,
0: like hot
3: box. Yeah, oh. it was rough. Like I immediately knew. Something had went terribly wrong, and I found this. But that was back in the day when I used to like build my own racks, and I just didn't really understand the whole concept of make it as tight as possible so you don't need a lid. So I put lids on everything, and with you know half inch gap or whatever. And this sub adult to adult female ball python managed to wedge her way out because she would have just been rough if uh, she mm-hmm. stayed in that tub with it but she was all good I mean I feel like my uh, apartment had to air out for about three weeks I was gonna after say,
0: that how or long God. did it take for that smell to go away
3: Oh, it was, it was a long time. Let's just say Ooh. I wasn't bringing any girls back anytime yeah,
1: uh, around there. That yeah. smell is so specific, Emptying too. I cans know of Febreze. It. Yeah, for real. Oh, I, yeah. I know that smell as soon as I walk mm-hmm. in. Like, I always make sure. Now, I double-check everything after I feed. Like, yeah. if they don't feed, I'll just do something with the rodent, give it something else or yeah. whatever. But I'm so anal about that now, man, because there's been too many times I've been looking at something and like, all right, yeah, it's fine. It's good to eat. I walk in the next day, and it's just...
0: Well, that little male pop one that I have, like he'll oh, yeah. he'll grab it. He did that, and other, I'm like, cool. He's gonna eat, yeah. and then
1: I go back the next day, like check on everybody, and the mouse is just sitting there. Yeah. So I'm like, dude, what
0: the hell? Yeah, I, there's I, a few quite, I have to watch.
1: Yeah, I I found with some like it, it's almost weird if they grab it by the middle of the body, they won't try. Mm-hmm. They'll grab by the middle of the body. She's just like, oh, screw it. Like, I'm, not gonna, I'm just not going to eat. But then you feed it to them again and make sure they grab the head. They'll usually eat it. The conjures it's just, like, fall asleep with it. <laughs> where you have to, like, knock the tub. Like, I'll walk by and just hit the tub.
0: <laughs> and they'll see them kind of like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was in the middle of eating. Yeah. That's right. Like, they're so <laughs>
1: stupid. Dumbass snakes. God, like,
0: listen to that, that episode of Reptile Gumbo Podcast with Lori Terini. She was talking about, like, snake intelligence. I was like, man, I hope you're not doing any of this stuff with conjures because you're going to get nowhere. Like, these things are dumb. Yeah. There is, there's, a, there's just, just like, a tin can kicking around up there. <laughs> do, do, do. And you just can see bouncing. it, too.
1: Like, when they stare at you, it's just, like, dead. Yeah. <laughs> <I just> soul <sold laughs> is eyes. Nothing going on. It's, the, uh, it's like the <laughs> Dell computer screen where it's just Dell bouncing back yeah. all around. <laughs> <the> ding, ding, <laughs> ding, It's like, good thing you're pretty. Cause and, it never, no one, and it never hits the dead corner. If you guys were,
0: were freaking just brown snakes,
1: no one would keep you. <laughs> yeah. But, anyways, I feel like we should get into we the meat and the potatoes. We of should. Episode. So, Nick,
0: for anybody who is not aware of who you are and what you do, tell us what you're all about. Yeah. So, uh,
3: my name's Nick Gordon, um, and I am one of the co founders of the Brony Alliance. Um, Some of you may have not heard about what kind of Brony Alliance is, and it's kind of going to be our focus uh, to what we're talking about today. But uh, you may have seen it recently on a bunch of social media. We've been blasting it everywhere. Um, We're really still uh, in our infancy of kind of starting this Brony Alliance thing. Um, It really started maybe about a year ago Mm -hmm. um, in the conceptual idea of it. But it really didn't start kicking off until, um, unfortunately, uh, Forrest, uh, when he passed away, that was kind of what relit the fire um, under just my butt to kind of make this really something. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've just kind of dedicated the whole thing to to him and kind of his legacy is him and I kind of co-founded this Abronio Alliance together. So, um, yeah, I guess
0: uh it's a Uh, bummer man that's my title because I I had talked to Forrest multiple times about doing an Arboroni episode and it just never happened you know it was just schedules didn't work out or you know we just we were like yeah we're gonna do it and then that would kind of be the end of it
3: so it's it's so funny because a lot of uh people had kind of that same experience and I mean just Forrest was one of the most busy guys in the world I swear like uh it's funny I'm sure we'll get into it later about kind of how I met him but it literally was like me trying to like herd cats to try and get (laughs) his attention um just because he he literally Forrest was the kind of guy who had like 500 ideas going on through his mind and he was trying to like sort them and Mm -hmm. make them all happen at once so just like trying to like get his attention on having like a specific conversation for more than like 20 minutes was like near impossible but we, we got there. So, uh, but yeah, it was, it was tough, uh, actually getting to, um, no force and everything. Um, by it was actually me reaching out on, uh, Instagram. Um, I think I even like hit him up on Facebook as well. Um, and just being like, Hey man, like I see you're doing a ton of this stuff with a I think I had heard a, talk i sat through like a two and a half hour uh podcast about corrales which corrales are awesome but they're not my specialty or anything so i listened through this like two and a half hour podcast to hear Forrest talk about abronia for literally five minutes it, i don't even think it was five minutes it might have been three and he like hit on like some of the most basic stuff but i kid you not i re-listened to that part of the podcast probably 15 times just trying Jesus. to soak up like any knowledge. Um, because the problem is with like abronia, there's really not a lot out there. Um, some of the sources that really were available when I first started getting into abronia were Jason Wagner uh, published an article in Reptiles Magazine that talked kind of like the overarching theme of abronia, kind of what they were, what their status was, a little bit about their reproduction. And then all these scientific papers, which half of them are in Spanish, um, which, yeah, thankfully for Google Translate, that has been a
2: godsend. (laughs)
3: Um, But I mean, also reading scientific papers when you're not in that 100% scientific, like academic side of things Mm -hmm. is like the most dry, you know, reading you've ever found, but I was just trying to pick out any little bit of information because, um, and we talked about this a little bit in the uh, article that I'm doing for the magazine, but I really haven't always been this Abronia lover or anything. It, it's actually been fairly recent that I got into them. Uh, it was actually because my dad, um, when I got out of college, I kind of got rid of some of the reptile stuff. I used to do use some ball pythons and I figured uh, if I couldn't do ball pythons, I should just get out because even I was terrible at breeding those. So I was like, I guess doing herps privately isn't <laughs> isn't right for me if I can't breed ball pythons out of all things. But fine-tuned my skills and then started collecting um, some different stuff that I thought I might be interested. I dabbled with Europlatus a little bit, um, mm. some of the Felsuma and Lagodactylus species, mm-hmm. Um, and those are really cool. I love both of those complexes. The Europlates are awesome, but I noticed they were kind of a pain as far as being nocturnal with the schedule. I wanted to really like observe them and appreciate them just wasn't working out Mm because I wasn't staying up till all hours of the night. And I mean, I rigged up like all the like blue lights, so I could see them being active. And it was like, they knew exactly when I was watching them. They were like, "I'm gonna just hang out on this branch and not do anything." So, well, they were really cool. I just kind of realized that wasn't my thing. And then with the falsuma and lagodactylus, again, a lot different of a species, much more diurnal, a lot more active. But then I realized, eh, you gotta feed these things like literally every single day. Be up on like making sure they're Uh, you're pulling eggs and whatnot. And I was just like, with my full-time job, like working with reptiles, I was like, I cannot dedicate that much time to doing reptiles privately as well as professionally. Um, So then I actually have always had a huge thing for pygmy chameleons, um, like the brachycea and rampholian genus. Uh, Those guys are just awesome, but they're so not available. So after getting into some of those, uh, I was kind of looking at cooler tolerant species as I was keeping stuff in my basement. And that's when kind of a bronia really came to light of, you know, here's this more obscure species that not a lot of people are keeping. They're diurnal. They're active. They come in a ton of different species. So you can kind of really fine tune one species, but at the same time, learn about kind of the whole genus and it was just an obsession from the get-go it it was like i heard about some draminia that somebody had for sale and it was just like that's when it was like the addiction just blew up i was reading everything listening to everything that was around which was pretty minimal so um that's when I really started reaching out to Forrest and just, it it seemed like he was constantly posting stuff on Instagram about the species he had Mm. and a lot of the history of the species, which you don't hear a lot of people, um, especially in the private herb community talk about, oh, you know, this researcher described this species or whatever you hear about. Oh, well, I'm keeping this species at this temperature and this humidity or whatnot. So something about that just really drew me into to Forrest's personality and his obvious passion for these, uh, species of the complex. And it was just, uh, it was like, I need to talk to this guy. I need to figure out how he's like getting all this information. And what it was, was he was just reading every scientific paper out there, every bit of, uh, connection that he had in the herp world that people from, 30, 40 years ago, who had kept some bronia, he was getting all that information in these little tidbits, and literally became kind of an expert on the species. So,
0: mm-hmm. well, that's kind yeah, of an odd—it's odd, <clears throat> an odd group because I mean, there's obviously we know graminia are pretty commonly. Well, I don't know that I necessarily say commonly kept, but they're—they're they're not. You, you see them fairly often on social media and stuff. Yeah, yeah. They're
3: definitely becoming a more um, what I would consider staple in kind of the obscure uh, species category. Mm -hmm. Um, You are, like you said, you are seeing them pop up um, on classified sections, on Facebook when that was a big place for actually buying reptiles. And um, I I would say Bronia are, uh, as a genus, rare, but gruminia are definitely the most commonly kept of all the species um which is is starting to change you're starting to see some people get into a few of the other species that personally um and i know forrest shared the same thought but honestly like gruminia are, are amazing looking animals and they're just that iconic uh thought when you think about abronia but honestly they are one of the more tricky species with just their level of flightiness and um, I think personality. I, I don't think they have as much of a personality compared to some of the other species like Taniata or mm-hmm. Um But again, it's about everybody's individual experience. I know some people that their graminia are basically like their cat or dog. They take them out every single day. They interact with them and they're great. My graminia want nothing to do with me.
0: So. Oh, I didn't realize, like, the freaking teeth they have on them. There's a skull <laughs> in the Abrona Ales auction. And yeah. if you saw that, you'd like, like, dude, oh, it's yeah, a little miniature monitor skull. It's yeah, like, they've that. got
1: some pretty nasty teeth. I think I so, saw that.
3: So you know, what, you know what their skull actually reminds me a lot of is, like, a helodermid skull. I can so see like, that. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they get that kind of bony um, scalation on the head mm-hmm. and they've just got some wicked sized teeth not nearly as big as like a helodermid, but they definitely for the have size that of the jaw animal. pressure yeah
0: it's impressive oh, for yeah. the for the size
3: yeah yeah and it's it's amazing like i've gotten pretty used to taking bites just cuz i don't really handle my animals a lot i more or less just let them do their thing and if i do need to pull them out usually i try to like approach it with a level of not irritating them to Mm -hmm. where they want to be in a defensive um, posture and rip into my finger. But it does happen. And when they do it, it's crazy because they'll bite on and you're like, okay, yeah, that doesn't really feel good, but whatever. It's it's no big deal. And then you, like, try to get them off by either setting (laughs) them down or putting them wherever, and it's like a vice grip. Like they just cinch down another level, and you're like, oh, oh wow yeah that that really hurts and then <laughs> you're like okay i kind of want to get this off and you touch them and then they just lock in even harder you're like like there has literally been some of the bigger species of abronia that have made me not necessarily like brought me to tears but to the point where i was like yeah i want this thing off of me now and, yeah, like, I was right now this
1: needs to end i don't
3: yeah it's Jesus. it is hilarious um uh, but and it's so funny because you hear them called these arboreal alligator lizards. And it's funny because they, they don't necessarily just bite, but when they do bite, a lot of the times they'll bite and do that twist like a crocodilian doing a death roll. Right,
2: and right. I don't
3: know if that's where some of the common name came from or if it just was resembled like a crocodilian head, but, man, they definitely they have their death roll. It's just not in water. It's on your finger. <laughs>
0: I've been tempted to get some because I remember being at a show a couple years ago and they had a table had some Griminia for like 40 bucks. Yeah. But I also remember hearing that a lot of, like, well, I don't know that a lot, but is it safe to say that virtually all uh, Griminia you see for sale at shows are going to be imports, like, illegally? Um, I,
3: I would say a majority, but that is starting to change. Um, there. You can start to tell which ones are imported um, and wild caught versus the true captive bred ones. Um, what we're one of the things we're figuring out is kind of a community, and some of the people that have been doing this a lot longer than myself and Forrest have started to realize is supplementation is a big thing, and the color change of a lot of the species, mm-hmm. especially ones that affect graminia. So you see yeah. these kind of two different looks to graminia. You see these bright like lime green with yellow eyes and yellow faces and those are often your wild caught specimens that are fresh out of the wild um have been imported uh recently and then you have the more blue to kind of teal variant or even like a darker Um, green getting into that kind of teal spectrum and what that is usually an indicator of is some long term captivity Um, usually you don't see those kind of darker teal shades in wild abronia I have seen like one or two photos where some animals have had like a darker color on their head Mm -hmm. but their body remains lime greenish so usually if they're that like neon green with a bunch of yellow on their face they're probably not captive bred, but we have seen some of the people that have been working with Abronia for a while that have really good supplementation uh, routines for their feeder insects, and a big thing of keeping them outside for at least part of the year. They do start to bring some of that color back, but it's really hard to get that like neon lime green unless they're fresh out of the wild. So that's one of the things we kind of try and tell people if they're looking to get into graminia or even just a Bronia in general, you know, you want to be not skeptical, but you want to be educated in like a
1: of the possibility. Yeah. You took the words out of my mouth, Smitty. I, I
3: try. Exactly.
1: You're be aware. Yeah. And
3: I mean, here's the thing, like I'm never going to be the person to like go and scold somebody and be like, you know, how dare you buy that graminia that was likely wild caught because a lot of people don't know and it's not something that's commonly talked about it is becoming more of a conversation that's starting mm-hmm. but almost all species within the abronia complex that are here in captivity today both in the States and in Europe came from illegally captured animals that were smuggled into the country that they do not originate from and Uh, One of our uh, members, uh, Dylan, uh, from Urban Arc Conservation, you know, he said it best. We were talking on the phone the other day. It's not about that people have made mistakes in buying um, illegally caught and smuggled animals, but it's more about let's learn from that experience and not continue that on.
0: Right. Well, that's kind of the the weird position that, you know, a lot of dart frog species either are in or were in at some point where it's like, in order for us to stop, like, sort of that initial illegal smuggling is almost the thing that saves the species because enough captive bred individuals get produced to where the demand for those illegal animals to be smuggled out of that country gets virtually eliminated. Exactly. And so it's kind of hard, like, it's like, yeah, it's bad, but at the same time... If people start cracking the code and breeding them on their own, then you don't have to worry about that being a problem anymore.
3: Yeah, and and that's exactly what we're striving to do with the Abroni Alliance. It's not about us breeding these animals to... Like, my favorite thing is when people start getting on the whole um, conservation by commercialization. And I think that's a great idea, but I think often how it's practiced is not really what I would consider conservation, saying, hey, we're gonna, you know, breed a bunch of these species um, to commercialize and make them more valuable. Yeah, it absolutely does cut down on the need for cheaper, wild, uh, illegal animals. But I think you have to take it one step further and say, how can we make sure to also think about the wild populations. There's so much of saying, well, yeah, we're thinking about the wild population by not illegally taking out, but often illegal uh, capture and uh, poaching from a lot of these reptile species is not their main threat to why they're going extinct or becoming endangered or anything. Often it's a secondary factor that definitely plays a big role, but it's usually habitat loss Uh, human-wildlife conflict, any of these huge things, fragmentation of population uh, within the habitat, those are what are making them go extinct and driving them closer to that extinction, but the illegal collection of the animals definitely isn't helping anything. So one of the aims of Brony Alliance is for us to, like you said, get the uh, captive side of things well established to where we can really say, yeah, we've figured out how to consistently and effectively breed these species mm-hmm. and cre- create so many that any person who wants to work with agronia. So, you for example, if you wanted to work with gruminia I would say instead of, yeah, be skeptical at a show or whatever of buying gruminia because most of them are probably wild caught, I would love to tell you You should absolutely get Griminia because you are going to fall in love with that species. And then you're going to get three more, five more, (laughs) ten more species because literally they are addicting.
0: It's well, just, that's the problem. Is like I am interested in them, and I I do see them at shows, and I'm like, oh man, those things are cool. Like one day, yeah. but at the same time, I've sworn off things with legs that aren't dart frogs. <laughs> so it's like, do I really want to get yeah. thrust
1: back into that and having to deal with more bugs? And yeah, it's my thing, man. Is the insects? I love them. I think they're amazing little lizards. And if I dedicate more time to dealing with insects and all that, I 100 would. But it's just one of those yeah. things. It's. No, and I mean, they they definitely
3: easy. come with uh, <laughs> more more bug requirements. They're, the good news is they're actually not as um, high uh, maintenance as some of the other lizard species. Mm-hmm. I mean, like my adults, I feed in the kind of dry season. I'll feed maybe once a week, once every other week. Oh, really? Um, wow. wow. Yeah, Don't so... Don't tell me that. <laughs> but, don't, don't tell me this. It's like a snake. That I eat will buns. say though. <laughs> I will say though. Like adults in the height of the season, usually during what coincides with the breeding season and the rainy season, I'll be feeding two to three times a week. But it's like maybe a few crickets per individual. Now, when you have a large collection, it obviously adds up. Yeah, but right. everyone can manage. You know, a few crickets. You know, go to your local. Pet store, or, you know, a reptile place, or order them from somewhere like Josh's Frogs or something. I don't know. Um, it, it doesn't become a lot, but when you do start to get on a larger scale, you start to realize how uh, many bugs you're going through. Especially with babies, uh, they eat a lot more frequently. So,
0: yeah, it's such an interesting genus. And I guess sort of going back to the the conservation through commercialization or propagation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah. Like, that. that's fine and dandy, but I think there should be, like, a caveat to that of, like, conservation through commercialization in the right hands. Like, yeah. obviously, someone getting, you know, someone who has a lot of money going, and it's just, like, you know, right. Bowellans or something. like right. Someone could go and have all this money and drop it on these things and not do anything with them. They're just there. It's just there to have them, But if yeah. you get guys like Forrest that actually are, like, fully, like, 100% in and on dedicated. cracking the code yeah. and, like, doing with figuring them out and you know working the rubik's cube kind of as i've come to say is right you know it's it's that's where it really matters if you just go and buy them like that's not conserving anything if you just have yeah you know
3: 100 percent. i mean and that's part of something that uh forrest and i really talked about um with getting this kind of idea of the abronia alliance and we, we don't want abronia alliance to be this like um organization that's just about like breeding a bronia in captivity because it it really started as a lot more of how can we save these species uh for the future of our kids generation i mean he would always talk about like after lars was born he was like i can't wait till hopefully lars can go to uh the cloud force one day and see an abronia in the wild because we actually made a difference and like mm-hmm. what right. a cool what a cool testament to taking because often at times you know i think we in the private reptile trade and it, it's not a bad thing but we want to keep the cool species that we like in our comfort of our homes because we're fascinated by them and that's amazing but i can tell you as somebody who travels and spends probably way too much money and way too much time uh actually i'll take that back because there's no such thing as spending too much money or too much time to go look for wild herps <laughs> in the field. I was going to say, there's because, way worse
0: things to
1: spend money yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely.
3: I know. I mean, it's just like, I, I remember meeting somebody who said, uh, you know, I never once have went on a herping trip to see some species in the wild and said, man, you know, I wish I would have saved that money and not done that.
0: Yeah, and that's, mean, even if even you don't see like, anything, it's still a cool trip. Like, you go to Costa Rica or something like that, it's like, whether I saw what I wanted to see or not, I still went to Costa Rica. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean?
3: Exactly. Like that is what I wish for everybody in the herb community to have, um, some experience or perspective like that, where keeping animals in captivity is one thing and it's amazing. It's fascinating. It's a huge part of how we draw that interest to the next generation. So they will conserve the planet, the habitat, and the species that we love so much, but it's also a thing of when you get to see that species in the wild, yeah. it it is it so you, amazing. It
0: gives you so much more of a perspective and an appreciation of that. I mean like guys like Casey Cannon. Like I mean honestly yeah. though, yeah. how many guys can you think of yeah. that say, I like I have this species that I'm hundred percent like committed to, like this is the species I am all about. I'm gonna go to the middle of Australia in the middle of freaking nowhere and find these things. Yeah. Like that's a level of dedication yeah. that 99.9% of us probably don't have. Like I yeah. would love to go to like West Texas. I talk about it all the time. Like that's number one on my list of herping yeah, spots. Yeah. I want to see Bairds. I want to see, you know, alterna. I want to see sub ox. Um, but also I would love to go to like the mountains of Mexico where like the herp MX guys go like the yeah. stuff they do is incredible. I love seeing all the stuff they find and the amount of like cool rattlesnake species and stuff they post on like wherever those are, like the Chihuahua Mountains and stuff like that, or right. uh, you know, Chihuahua right. Mountains, yeah. you know, stuff Chihuahua. like that. Like Chihuahua Mountains. Herp yeah, MX.
3: <laughs> yeah, Herp MX has me literally drooling on almost a daily basis of just the amazing species they're finding, and sometimes a brony are them, but yeah. half the time it's you know the rattlesnakes or even some of like the salamander and frog species. I mean, I'm definitely more of a herp guy. I have a huge appreciation for amphibians and i've worked a lot with them but oh my gosh like just the stuff that they find is incredible and in the way they're going about it it's not even just a factor of oh hey look at this awesome species we found but they're providing in their social media uh, you know how significant these finds are and when the last time these species were found, and what locality? Yeah, they're like giving context. You're seeing. Yeah, I mean, the, one of the things that I loved always reading about was a lot of the history of when they would, you know, rediscover species that had been lost for a decade. Um, Abronia ocoetir and I was one that basically they rediscovered after this crazy story of there were basically like. 13 cities that were all kind of roughly named the same thing. And I think it was back, Oh, I want to say in the sixties, somebody found this one specimen and there was like a little bit of information, but they had no idea which locality it was at. And then they just happened to be out looking for a palm viper species and looked and then found four of these specimens. And it was like, they've been here the whole time but they've been lost to science and just, you don't, you don't see that in social media anymore. Like the history of a lot of these species, a lot of people are just not to like crap on morphs or, you know, just the private sector. But I, and I know Forrest felt the exact same way. Um, I always try and inspire people to look further beyond just keeping the animal in a Mm -hmm. enclosure or a glass box and, and really, Become a expert, or even just become informed on the whole picture of the
0: species. Well, I mean, even Casey did that when he went to Australia. He was taking notes. He was taking temperatures. Yeah. He was taking. Uh, yeah, he walked around with yeah, a yeah. heat gun, man. He was checking everything, yeah. Shad, like crevices, yeah. like caves. You know, hot spots like basically full, like full blast sun areas. You know, the temperature up high, the temperature up low, like. It was like he went there, and he's like, I'm not just going to go there and see it and be like, cool, this is awesome. He's like, no, I'm going to get as much information yeah, as I can yeah. and take it home with me. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. I you would... that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know you've reached the complete reptile nerd level when you're searching up, like, UV index, rainfall, and, like, precipitation patterns of Guatemala and Mexican, like, mountain ranges, just to try and get a better perspective of that habitat so you can recreate it and start to understand, mm-hmm. okay, these are, like, the factors that are really keeping this animal thriving and then oftentimes breeding and reproducing. So, yeah, I think it's it's just such a, a good way to go about um, really working with any species that hasn't been 100% unlocked. And, I mean, you can even do it with the species that right. are commonly kept.
0: Well, that's what's crazy is, like, before you know, the internet and phones and stuff, you didn't have access to these things, but now you can go on your phone, like, you can pull this out of your pocket, and you can look up the temperature, like, all that data for anywhere in the world you want to, within 30 seconds.
1: Yep. Like, I
0: feel like people don't do that kind of stuff enough. Like, I've done it with Condros. like, you know, what's the temperature and what's it like in Papua New Guinea right now in this certain area? Right. And it's like, it's right there.
1: Like that, that
0: minute to minute is just, it's there. It's so easy.
1: I've said it before. I keep a, like, you know, obviously it's not perfectly accurate, but you know, like your weather app on your Mm -hmm. phone, I have West Papua New Guinea on there. Like just West Papua up there. Just, uh, just, and I just glance at it every now and then. It doesn't really change, but it's, it's still there. You know, I, I I keep tabs of it and i watch, you know, the rain and, you know, the times of year that it is raining and the temperatures and, you know.
3: Absolutely. Well, and I think one thing to take that even a step further is actually logging and checking your own parameters. So, you know, knowing oftentimes we do this thing where, you know, we get a new species and we look up their care information if it's out there or we'll go and say, hey, what is the temperature range and, you know, uh, thermal gradient range for this species? And we set up this enclosure and then we kind of like walk away from it and, you know, Oh yeah, maybe it looks a little too hot today or maybe I need to miss this a little bit more, but I think we don't check our own data. So like I've found, um, they're actually called uh, hobo or onset data loggers mm-hmm. and they are fantastic. They're a bit pricey, but for, like 120 bucks. And I think that's on one of the more expensive uh, loggers. You can put a data logger that's weatherproof, that will log humidity and temperature for whatever interval time you want. So I do mine, I think like every 15 minutes and it'll log for about a year and a half. So what I've got is a logger right between two of my bronia cages that just sits down there and you can link up to it through Bluetooth and I can actually pull up a graph at any given time and look at what the humidity and temperature are doing for whenever I started logging that graph and actually being able to look at that kind of stuff and then compare it with those Mm -hmm. actual weather and uh temperature data that you're finding in the native range and say, hey, is this coinciding uh, in a similar fashion or am I getting a completely different spike in humidity or is there no spike? You know, so I think that's one of those things, especially working with some of the species that haven't really been figured out so um, consistently on how to reproduce them and even just how to get them to thrive. You really have to be not only checking your initial um, research, but make sure your parameters are still fitting within that uh, that research that you did uh, initially.
0: You know, it would be really cool though. And I'm kind of well. I guess I don't know. I'm kind of surprised that something like this doesn't exist. But if you had some sort of like module that you hooked up to your computer and you mm-hmm. picked out a certain area, but it was connected to Wi-Fi. And you had your heat, your lighting, and then maybe even like a Mist King or something hooked up to it. And it basically kept track of what the weather is at in that particular area and mimicked it. Huh.
3: Yeah. How cool would that be? So there is that technology out there, which is the craziest thing. It's still in the newer phases, Mm -hmm. and it's a bit pricey. Um, And and a lot of times you kind of have to uh, tech hack it. I'm not the most tech savvy. I mean... I'm not struggling with Facebook or anything, but I'm not writing my own apps or programs or anything. Yeah. But there, there are people out there that have that knowledge and capability to utilizing like smart outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, I use a lot of those. So if I'm ever sitting at work or on vacation or something, and I see like a pressure fronts coming through, I can go ahead and go through my phone, click on my missing system. So now that, pressure drop that the animals are feeling now they're getting not only the pressure change but they're also getting that saturation change or that hydration change as well and that's just going to help mimic it even more It'd and a lot be of cool these, to be able to like
0: integrate it with google maps you plug it into your computer you pick out like where on Google, like where you're looking to aim at within a certain like radius and then have yeah. it have it set up with some sort of weather tracker app or something and then just yeah. set it and set it up and like let it do its thing. Like that would be yeah. really cool.
3: Yeah. Honestly, I could I could see that becoming a thing in the next five to ten years easily. That's yeah. Not even just on a like very advanced scale, but on a moderate to maybe even a beginner scale of some products. So I guess ZoomEd, Exoterra, Zilla, All you guys should probably get on that if you're listening. (laughs) Be the first one to do it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Just think about how much easier, like, breeding stuff like chondros. Like, you get the rainy season. Like, you have to figure out, like, obviously if you have a mist king or something set up, you have to have some way to, like, drain that
1: so it doesn't flood the
0: cage if it rains for two
1: days straight. (laughs) Yeah. The the only issue that I could see with it is you have to come into, like, take into consideration, like, you know, at the heat of the day, like w- what are the temps that they're hiding at? You know what I mean? Like when it's, it's hottest out and they don't want to be out, you know, in the stupid heat, where are they going? Where are the temperatures there? You know, what's the environment like there? Yeah, I feel like you know, what you're talking about would be more generalized of, you know, this is what it is right now. This is what's going to be tonight and it's raining now type thing. You don't get into like the, the the micro habitats that yeah, they'll get yeah. into, you know what I mean? Where they'll, they'll hide or where they hunt, mm-hmm. you know? And so I guess, yeah, quite
3: you know, Well, I think you can utilize that technology as long as you have a good understanding of those microclimates. Right. And if you also just provide a lot of options within your enclosure, which obviously yeah. gets into, yeah, a, that's true. A bigger topic. I mean, we talk about it all the time in the reptile community, but I cannot say that it's preached enough. Give a thermal gradient. Give If you're offering UV, give a UV gradient. Give a shade to full sun gradient. I mean, that's literally the, the thing I preach the most when talking about setting up species that you might not have knowledge of is give them options because they know exactly what they need and want to do so that's what i like really approach whenever i'm setting up an abronia cage is can they get up to a point where they can get super warm if they want and get full uv but then can they also get away from it and get down into a cooler spot i mean we kind of know that as a general practice within the herb community um but i i just still think it it cannot be said enough just thermal gradients and gradients all around is is the key
0: yeah like getting into to care and stuff for them because you have a handful i mean i've seen the the picture of the but sort of <laughs> yeah. i mean is it, is it similar across most of the genus or is it more species specific than people think like what's the sort of what's the yeah, rundown would- as far as what you do
3: I would say it's pretty uh, similar from most of the species um, within the complex. Again, there is – so right now, there's 29 recognized species of Abronia. Um, There are one or – yeah, there's actually one or two that are – Herp MX actually found one this past year. Uh, I believe they're calling it the little golden um, dragon. I forget what the – proposed latin name for it is but if that one is recognized uh that'll put us up to 30 different species well even though there's that many species i would say at least probably 30 percent maybe more are functionally extinct if not actually extinct um there's some yeah there's a lot that haven't even been seen in who knows how long ramirez i um Salvadori, uh, I think Salvadoriensis. I mean, you don't even hear some of these names because they're just they're not there. Um, So unfortunately, it it kicks us back into there is only a handful. Well, I would say more than a handful that are fairly commonly kept um, within people that are working with Abronia which you get kind of the species that I would say are more common would be your Gruminia, your Taniata, your Lythrochyla, and then really outside of that, you're kind of getting into the more rarity species um, with, I would say, a Bronya specialist working with these are gonna be your Depi, your Oaxaca, your Arita, Vasconcelosi, your Smithi, And then you've got, even up from there, your much more rare species where only maybe a few individuals are working with them, if even at all, are some of your uh, species like Martindale campylai, campylai, fimbriata is another big one. So you have these kind of different tiers of them. But they're all roughly about the same care. You do get some species that are a little bit more sensitive. Like I've noticed Depi um, is a little bit more sensitive to heat fluctuations where Lithrochyla and Graminia and Taniata, you can let them get a little bit warmer and they're not going to just keel over on you. But if you're getting into that kind of higher range with heat and by higher range i'm talking 80 85 you're going to start to see some uh, pretty negative health effects um if your animal's even still alive so there are some little specific things here and there uh some babies are much more hardy than others your graminia your litharchyla are pretty hardy um where mixed teca, can be a bit tricky. I don't think I mentioned that one. That one's kind of an in-between of commonly kept and I would say, intermediately kept. But what you're really looking for as far as care is keeping them cooler, um, is the biggest thing. A lot of people think, you know, they're herps, they want heat, but these really are a species that are much more cool tolerant than they are heat tolerant. Mm -hmm. If they're getting up into that 80, 85 degree mark, they're starting to really look for um, a cool spot to get to. And if they can't get to, they're going to start going downhill pretty quickly. Um, The other big thing is they like a lot of humidity, but not stagnant humidity like a dart frog cage you'd set up with very little ventilation. Um, It's really important that they have good ventilation as well as high humidity, which can be really tricky to replicate most people um, live in areas that aren't naturally um, high humidity mm-hmm. and also cool, unless you're living out in, you know, one of the Carolinas or maybe out in like Washington State. Yeah, you're you're not in that real kind of montane aspect because these species live in cloud forests. I mean, they're habitat specialists, high elevation for the most part. In Pretty much your specific old-growth oak forests that are just littered with your kind of iconic Tillandsias, bromeliads, orchids. Basically, if you think about the picturesque cloud forest, that's that's where you're going to find them. So it does become really important that they've got that good airflow, like you would have in a montane cloud forest, but that it's also staying quite high humidity or humidity and then that they are able to kind of stay a bit cooler as you Mm. increase in elevation, that heat really drops off.
0: Yeah, because the the ones that I remember sticking out the most to me are, I'm looking at the Herp MX page right now, is the uh, Ocho-Terrini? Yeah, Ocho-Terrini, yeah. Yeah, those things are freaking nuts, dude. Look at that. Yeah, those are insane. Um, So
3: that species is quite crazy because that was one of the few species that was basically lost to science for a long time. It was found. Uh, I think one or two individuals were found. Those became the holotype and um, uh, one of the paratypes for the species to be fully described. And then literally there was like nothing. And then Herpemax goes out and, kind of knows a bit more about what they're looking at and then finds this, I don't know if I would call it a healthy population, but to find four individuals uh, in one trip is is huge. Yeah, so,
0: that's, a, that's a good bit.
3: Yeah, I mean, Abronia, um, as I have not spent uh, any time being able to go look for these guys in the wild thanks to uh, our wonderful pandemic that's going on that has restricted <laughs> all travel – Um, but it will happen soon, soon enough. Um, but in talking with a lot of the people that have had the opportunity to get down to the habitat and actually go searching for abronia, Cody talked about it. Perfect. Um, he said, it's literally like you're looking for snakes. Usually lizards are the ones out everywhere and Mm -hmm. abundant in Guatemala. You're almost more likely to find a palm viper than finding an abronia, which Cody and Pia, when they went down, found, I think, a couple palm vipers, but didn't see a single Abronia. So it just kind of goes to show uh, how difficult it can be to actually find them. And and part of that is seasonality, and they're also up in this fairly high canopy, hanging out in moss and telanzeids and bromeliads. So they're not a species that's really going to be out in your face, just staring you down on a tree, or
0: right. something you want. across the Somewhere to the ground, yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, you really have to search for these things. And that's one of the biggest problems with abronia, is there isn't a lot of people out climbing trees in Mexico and Guatemala researching these and trying to figure out more about what really makes them tick. So I think that's part of why we see so little um, research on... Um, habitat data according to, like, what populations are doing, which can make it really tough, so. But, yeah, the I are just, they're mind-boggling. There's some um, uh, Abronia lithrochyla that one of their phenotypes is a very deep, kind of rusty red color, and I've seen some amazing-looking uh, lithrocyla that were red. Nothing compares to those I. Those things are just... Absolutely insane.
1: Yeah, man, that herb MX page—it got so much cool stuff. Yeah, I just went and followed yeah. them. I wasn't following them for some reason.
0: There's but, like, there's man, just always yeah. like rattlesnakes that I didn't even know existed, and then they post about them, and it's yeah, it's wild. Yeah. That's so cool. So what, uh, like, what kind of setups do you do you keep yours in? I know people have used like the screen cages. Is that kind of standard, or is that
3: Yeah, so I would say I always try to recommend going with the screen cages. I have known some people to have success with glass cages um, and some consistent success, but you really have to manage your airflow pretty well. So if you are going to do glass, which again, I wouldn't necessarily recommend, um, you're going to want a fan or something on top exchanging that air pretty regularly
0: um yeah well, that could be something as simple as like a little computer fan right depending on the size of the
3: yeah, yeah yeah um so i think it's it's definitely possible to be done i mean i know people that have had success with actually reproducing them in exoterras or
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh zoomed cages so it it definitely is is possible but i think you have to be very cautious when you're doing it that way compared to like what i use is the reptabrees uh, by zoomed that's mm-hmm. the sixteen sixteen thirties. Um, i work with most of the smaller species so i don't really work with Kyla much um, i have kind of one ambassador um, that i'm planning on using for more of a outreach or just a display animal that people can see because a lot of people are working with those species they're just a bit bigger than my setups warrant, So I would say for something of that size, going up probably to like the 18, 18, 36 um, is going to be better, especially if you're keeping them in pairs. Um, I tr- kept a lot of my pairs together for most of the year in either 30, 30 or sorry, 16, 16, 30s. Um, or something slightly bigger. And I just still felt that wasn't enough space. Um, And after reading and talking with a lot of the people that have had a lot of success with Abronia, it seems like keeping them individually is definitely more conducive to successful reproduction Mm -hmm. than keeping them together year round. Like when I actually paired up my females with my males last week, and it was like, as soon as I put the females in the males were just horn balling it up. They were like <laughs> chasing the females around. Just I didn't see any uh, great signs from the females. I don't know if they're fully cycled yet and ready to start ovulating, but the males are definitely, they are rearing to go and ready. So hoping for some locks here pretty soon. Um, but keeping them apart for most of the year and then putting them in, I think just really mm. triggers that uh, sense of oh hey it's time to breed yeah. we know we know what we're here for so I think keeping them separate is it has its advantages the one downside is like we know with pairing animals up if you miss that window sometimes it doesn't come back around for another year mm-hmm. so there could be advantages to, to doing the actual, um, keeping them together year round as well.
0: And I'm under the impression that kind of like a lot of the species we see that are imported a lot, like your vine snakes and stuff, like there's a reason they're not captive bred often. And that's because, I mean, are these guys, for some reason I'm thinking I heard that they were, they're not very easy to breed. Like it's, there's kind of, yeah. it's a little tricky that compared to, you know, some of your hobby staples.
3: Yeah, definitely. So, and and we're getting better every year, um, and that's really one of the aims of Brony Alliance was let's figure this out as a community instead of a bunch of individuals trying to, you know, make the same mistakes and and get a success here and then coveting for five years so they can get ahead of the market. I can say almost all the people really working with Abronia right now are not working with them for any level of profit or um, even status to say, oh, you know, I was the first one to produce this or whatever. There's always that definite excitement when you produce a species not many other have or are working with. But I think the nice thing about the Abronia um, kind of community that we've scene that has established itself already is we're all really just trying to work to figure this out together because I think a lot of us see the value in if we can really figure out this complex, then we can bring a lot more people that have the time and resource and love to be able to do yeah. this, this group. Right. Because we kind of talked about it a, a little while back, but, you don't just want the people who have enough money to get into these species because they are a bit more, um, pricey when you do, get, if you're lucky enough to see some available, which is near impossible these days, it seems. Um, but you don't just want people hanging on to these species and doing nothing with them. So one of the aims of the Abronia Alliance is really to get people working together as a group to figure the species out and be as successful as possible as we can with them. Um, and that does come down to that. They are tricky to breed. They, they are big with the seasonal fluctuation. Um, I mean a lot of people struggle even to have them thrive in captivity, let alone reproduce successfully. Mm -hmm. Um, they're a species that, obviously, as many abronia keepers' fingers know, can be quite brutal if they're not uh, paired up right. They can, I mean, I know, luckily I have not had it happen um, here at my place, but I know other keepers who have had males go in and just literally kill females because they're just so strong and so aggressive if the female is not cycling and if she fights back or maybe she's a little too small, I mean, it's very easy for a big male to kill or seriously injure a, a female if she's not receptive. Um, so there's that aspect. There's just getting them to cycle. Um, males seem to be a little bit easier to cycle from my experience. Um, my males are definitely, ready to go right now and uh but the females can be a bit tricky to get them in that ovulating state and then you have a whole aspect of their gestation period is about seven to nine months which Mm -hmm.
0: is yeah because they're live rare right
3: Yeah. yeah yeah so they are live bearing species which makes them hard to really crank out numbers because they really don't double clutch or have super large clutches they they can have large litters yeah. um but i think the largest i've personally heard was a uh, litter of 16 from uh one of our friends Paige. she had a litter of 16 vascas if i'm remembering correct correctly which was huge you're looking usually more the five to ten range mm-hmm. i would say is is more an average um but the biggest part of Getting them to actually uh, ovulate, get a successful copulation where the male is um, passing on his sperm to the female. But then you have an overwintering period that they go through naturally and usually what's created artificially in a lot of the captive setups. And then you really start to see that that growth and gestation period. Um, come to light around December to March is when they're really cooking those babies. Mm -hmm. The other tricky part, though, is they're so sensitive to stress that I've seen when they stress out, they will way quicker just abort a litter or reabsorb uh, developing follicles. Yeah, that's probably one of the most disheartening things about abronia is you'll see these females getting nice and plump, and they look full, and they literally look like these little tanks, and you're just like, there's no way you're not going to pop out a bunch of babies this year. And then you're sitting there, you're sitting there, you're waiting, you're waiting. They stop smashing food, and then just nothing. Or they'll slug out. And mm-hmm. it's just, it is the most disheartening thing in the world, because that litter, if it's a full really healthy litter of 10 to 12 animals can be huge for the species in captivity and really getting, you know, a couple animals to different people working with them and passing on what, uh, genetic, uh, difference we have within the captive animals without needing to wild collect. And then when you see just slugs come out, it's or even worse when stillborns come out, it is, it just makes you want to just drop to your knees and just cry because it's just like all this, this prep work from cycling them and putting them together at the right time and then having them just drop off a, a crappy litter or even a lackluster one. It's, it's hard to be excited. Like this year I had a female Vasco. She probably had what I would guess is probably like seven to nine, um, babies that were cooking in her or, uh, but then she ended up producing two live babies who are still doing good to this day, one stillborn. And then I caught her eating infertile, uh, slugs that she had put out. So I don't have a good, good total count, but like bass is a species that is not Uh, widely available so to see the female just smashing Mm -hmm. infertile slugs was just very interesting but also just like oh that could have been the future of
0: this species I mean at least they're getting used yeah Yeah. at least they're going to something
3: (laughs) absolutely and it it was a it it was kind of a neat um, observation because To my knowledge, talking to a few other people that have consistently produced um, Abronia, not many people or I don't think anyone at that point had seen um, infertile slugs being consumed by the mom, which isn't anything super crazy, but it definitely does change the perspective of when you see a female that's super plump and then all of a sudden gets super skinny and you don't find any babies – Well, maybe it's not that she reabsorbed or something, but maybe it's the fact that she did slug out and said, Hey, I need those resources back in me because maybe it was, she didn't have the different supplements or resources within her to really feel that she could uh, produce a viable litter that year. So, so it is, it is tricky and it's really disheartening, but, um, It's all interesting, and and those are kind of the observations that we within the Abronia Alliance and and even just within the Abronia community as a whole can share with each other in hopes that we can work on how to better it for the next year and better it for the next five years and better it for the next lifetime. That way, these species and this genus actually has a fighting chance because in the wild right now, they, they don't. I mean, we, Forrest and I, and Steven was with us, we had the pleasure of going to uh, University of Texas of Arlington where Jonathan Campbell, who's basically what I would consider an Abronia god, as he's <laughs> described many species, he has Abronia Campbelli named after him, um, which was hilarious because when we were talking about that with him, we are like, how how awesome is it to have an Abronia species named after you? And he goes, yeah, you know, it's great, but they named the ugliest one after me. (laughs) It was so funny to hear him say that because he was, um, when we went down to visit him, the the nicest guy in the world. He took the time out of, um, he'd actually been uh, in the process of retiring from uh, UTA and still took the time out of his day to meet up with us and, and talk about abronia in the wild and uh just kind of some of the limitations and hurdles that we would really have going forward in trying to save these species but um one of the other big things that he really touched on was if nothing changes and the um trend continues the way it is almost all abronia will probably be extinct or functionally extinct within with maybe the exception of one to two species probably within the next 20 years which is crazy to think about because some of the younger generation that's a whole lifetime to them yeah but uh, to some people i mean i'm getting up there in age where like 20 years is gonna fly by Mm -hmm. in a matter of no time and it's crazy to think that we could completely lose these species to the wild forever and that's um,
0: that's what I find interesting is, like, they're a cloud forest species, and so you would think they're in, I mean, from what I've heard as far as, like, Mexican terrain and stuff, and obviously this is going to be different depending on where you are in the country, but, like, yeah. they're in an area that, that you wouldn't think would, habitat destruction would be, like, a, a very big thing because they're in kind of an area where I would be under the impression that there's really not a whole lot going on that people would right. want to draw from it.
3: Yeah, yeah, so that's the craziest thing is, you know, a lot of the land in Mexico and Guatemala that is being deforested um, for agriculture, for lumber trade, is because almost all of the other habitat that was more accessible has already been cleared. Oh. And that's the the craziest thing to think about is these illegal loggers and, and even some of the legal logging um, – they are going to new lengths to find these resources, whether that be land or just lumber. Um, You know, it's, it's crazy to think, but that's now the reality of the situation is these loggers are going to these steep uh, mountainside, non-accessible by main roads or even, what I would consider minor roads Mm -hmm. to now gain that resource just because the country is so poor in both cases that they have to do whatever they can to continue the sustainability of their communities there. And it, and it's not something where I think a lot of, um, the local people. And again, I'm a hundred percent assuming, um, as, I haven't had the chance to really hear this from the locals, but the couple people that I have talked to, um, you know, they don't want to see these species not thriving, but when you put it down to it's them or the lizards, you're going to choose you and your family right, every time right, over. Right. And, and, that's and the case in a, a
0: lot, lot of those countries, though. You know, that's like... They they have to make a living, and if it's going to be between, you know, a non renewable resource or keeping food on the table, I mean, obviously they're going to look out for number one. Right.
3: Absolutely, and and you can't fault people for that because right, right. every single one of us would do the same if we were in a different situ- in, in that situation. Um, so, one of the things that we're really hopeful for uh, with the Abronia Alliance is to a gain perspective of what is really the problem down there mm-hmm. I mean I think we pretty well know that it's habitat destruction um, there is some aspects of uh, misconceptions of the lizards being venomous um, there's which, a
0: lot of like myth like myths around them too with, with, yeah yeah with some weapons, people right? think
3: that they bring bad luck so if they see them in their yard they think they can be negative spirits so they want to kill them. Um, thinking they're venomous is obviously, um, we see that a lot with our native venomous species. There is a huge, um, negative, uh, aspect around venomous species. And it's, it was one of those things where I've always known that there has been that negative stigma, but I actually was just on a, um, herping trip with my buddy and we found a copperhead in Southern Ohio. And we're out road cruising, this beautiful male, probably four or five-year-old adult, nice and long, clearly had been a very healthy animal, was out on the road. We were taking some photos. Truck came by, and we were like, hey, we flagged him down. We told him, you know, we're photographing the snake. We'll move our car out of the way. And we pulled up pretty close to the snake. And this guy went out of his way to cut the wheel as hard as he could to hit the snake Right in front of us, and that was one of those moments where I was just so in disbelief because you hear about people going out of their way to to it? harm these animals and stuff yeah Jeez. and it was it was one of the most I think helpless feelings I've ever had because it was just a hundred percent because that person felt such a strong Negative reaction, or thought it would be funny or or who knows what, but that level of culture just shows me that's how much more important our jobs as educators and advocates for these species i mean it's it makes it that much more important to know if we don't change the next generation, we're gonna have twice as many people doing that kind of yeah. idiotic stuff that's, so that's so horrible,
1: i'd it'd be man, reaching for like, the nearest rock to throw at the back Oh windshield. my god I, dude, that's i <laughs> yeah. cannot i i can't believe that like i've heard of, i've heard of people going out of their way to kill a snake like, like to do it when someone literally yeah, was just telling just, you. just told you about it said yeah. they're photographing you're obviously interested in it and you're just gonna run it over right in front of them. dude that's just, you're yeah. a piece of shit human for that like, yeah, are you like, kidding me? That, oh my God. Yeah. I had yeah. a family like, friend the,
0: post a picture of a yellow rat snake she killed in her yard because it was in her chicken pen. And yeah, I mean, it was a decent size yellow rat, but then she was like, we killed yeah. it because we have a small dog. Oh my God. I unfurled yeah. her. Those, I was like, get, that's, here. get real. You hear You hear those
3: things and it's just like, it's so disheartening because you just, you want to like shake these people and just be like,
0: it's not that what serious. What are yeah. you
3: doing? Like, if that was your dog otherwise, like, what if I said, oh, well, hey, I'm going to go shoot your dog because what if it hurts my snake? Like, nah, and I mean, we exactly. can we can talk about this for probably <laughs> eons because oh, yeah. 99.9% of the herb community knows this is the thing. of uh, Reptiles are discriminated against. And I, I think it really comes down to they are so discriminated against because they're taboo to a lot of the non-reptilian community. Um, I just think it it comes down to there's not enough interactions, which we are seeing that growing now that herp communities are becoming not so much the... trade shows that are in these like dingy va halls with you know 30 (laughs) to 40 people
0: yeah
3: and it's like it's like if you go in there like what does that say about your character but now it's it's great to see like these herp shows are families and Mm -hmm. boyfriends and girlfriends and like it's it's this community now that is very much normalized it's not the you're weird for being a hurt people although I mean, my girlfriend might say otherwise. She's definitely not a hurt person. <laughs> so hey, it's yeah, always always interesting to hear how she perceives things. But it's great for, like, an uh, educating tool because I can really start to gain a different perspective. But, okay. you know, this is becoming a lot more normalized. And I, I think seeing so many of the next generation of these kids being excited about uh, snakes and stuff. I was uh, at the zoo yesterday I think and I saw this um, brother and sister they were probably eight to ten years old and I was walking through doing my rounds and this kid like is yelling to me he's like oh my gosh like my sister's afraid of snakes and we're getting over her fear of them and it was just like oh my gosh like that is that is the best case scenario it wasn't whether she likes it or older brothers not. Yeah, like, <laughs> well, but it, they were both just so excited. Like, mm-hmm. the brother wasn't taking it as like a, oh, here's a fear thing. I mean, I would have probably done the, that exact opposite thing to my sister. But like, oh, she's terrified of this? Let me use this as ammo to scare the living yeah, daylights put out of her. in her but face. It, yeah, but it, it was so cool to see him, like, running around excited, showing her, like, check out this awesome snake and seeing her excited about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe she walked away still with a hesitation about snakes, but I can guarantee you she was not nearly as fearful of the snakes that she was when she walked into that building. And that wasn't me as an educator doing anything. I just happened to walk by. That was the 10-year-old kid showing his sister because somebody along his family lines or, or maybe not even family lines, but somebody in his life educated at him to the fact that these are not something to be feared, but to be respected.
2: And it's
0: and like, How cool is that? Yeah. It's interesting you say that too, because that makes me think about my seven year old who, before we bought the house and before we were all living together, she wanted like nothing to do with the snakes. Like I'd have the big male brettles out and I'd be like, you want to touch them? She'd be like, no, no way. But mm-hmm. within a very short amount of time of us living together anytime i was in this anytime i'm in the snake room now she like wants to help me can i fill the water bowl you yeah. know can i wipe it out can i hold that snake while you do this can i like and i never yeah pushed her it was never like hey come help me with this it was just a natural like over time i think she realized that they don't do anything like they just kind of sit there and so well, it's just really strange like really interesting that not even having to influence her in any way like at least on a conscious level right yeah. But she she just so, all got over that fear herself and now she's like she wants to be all involved. About it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And and that's where I think it is. It's it's really most kids are not naturally fearful of snakes. They might be hesitant yeah. because it is a new thing. But you don't have kids coming up that have never been taught oh my gosh, kill that snake, it's, it's a terrible thing, and it's going to bite you and strangle you or, or envenomate you or whatever. No kid is saying that. It's parents telling them that, and that fear is, is learned yeah, from exactly. somebody who is – and the, the crazy thing that I find is it's not from people who have had a negative experience with snakes – 90% of people that are terrified of snakes have never had a bad interaction with one.
0: But they're yeah, their uncle, though, got chased by a cotton uh, mouse. Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> exactly. It's it's a hundred percent fear being passed on from somebody else mm-hmm. because a person that was significant in their life had that fear or had that perspective that they then learn that fear. And that's where I think it's just so important that we start putting snakes and lizards and turtles and amphibians out there, like in the public eye. Mm -hmm. I want to see them as common as we see rabbits and guinea pigs. And like imagine if for even let's say one out of every five dogs or cat homes that you know of, somebody had reptiles or amphibians at home like reptiles and amphibians would not be this taboo thing that they have been for so long and is still are to this day mm-hmm. but it's it's changing as yeah. more it's people come have snakes I mean, in their think about it absolutely so that's one of the great aspects about the community just becoming what it is and especially with social media I mean, we can completely change the perspective of so many more with that influence that we can show, hey, look, I'm taking my snake out and cleaning the cage, and it's not biting me and mm-hmm. trying to wrap around my throat and kill me. But before this uh, aspect of having uh, everybody can have a voice on social media, the only thing you'd ever hear about was snakes, where they either escaped... Or they were trying to strangle somebody, and it's now that's not the case anymore. So yeah. I think we're starting to see some of that stigma uh, fall off the bandwagon.
1: Star- starting to make the make the turn a little yeah. bit. Starting to take the curve, you know. But you around. think about
0: how irrational some of these fears are with people. Yeah. Like I got that little Eastern king, right? Mm-hmm. My uncle mm-hmm. found that. Well, my aunt came across it. It was in their house, like crawling up their stairs from their front oh, door wow. up into like their living room that thing is literally like this long and my yeah. uncle said she couldn't even go to sleep she was like nauseous no and, I'm like, man. and i mean i i guess i'm i'm biased because obviously i'm a snake guy but i just can't see how something that's literally like the size of a worm right can be that terrifying so well, like, it's
1: just one of those things they think that like they think all snakes are venomous and if you get bit by it no matter how big it is you're gonna fucking die and that's—it's yeah. uh, that's, just—it's it, stupid. It's silly, but it, that—that's how it works in their head. Is this thing is dangerous, no matter how big it is. You but know. at the same
0: time, the neighborhood kids. So there's a little boy and a little girl that live like two doors down. Little boy doesn't care about any of the stuff in the snake room, but right. the little girl All is about it. fascinated. Like awesome. anytime I have Bigs out, she's just staring so hardcore. And she wants to touch them and then she's going and telling her parents about it and stuff. I'm like, oh, they're gonna come ask me, like, what yeah. is
1: she, what
0: is she touching? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, is it anything dangerous? Is it anything that's gonna like? And it's just so funny because the boy has like zero interest, he's like, whatever, dude. But the little girl is yeah. just, dude, she is like all about it. And I wonder if that's because my child is like, these are really cool. Like, check it yeah, out. Like, I had bigs yeah. out one day in the front yard, my big male Brettles. And, you know, my daughter got all excited. She's like, oh, check it out. And then, you know, little neighborhood girl's like, oh, that's really cool. And the boy was like, mm-hmm, yeah, Jeez. sure. Yeah, whatever. He's not scared of it. He's completely indifferent to their existence. just going to keep riding my scooter. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's weird that, like, at some point, like, where does, where does that sort of fear kick in, you know? And that's something I think about all the time, too, is, like, at what point did, did reptiles and snakes in particular become so stigmatized? Like in yeah. the history of our species,
1: dude, it started. Like, with, it started it, with the the Bible. That's what I was dude, thinking, but at the same yeah. time, they, not
0: everyone is religious, but people are still scared of snakes. So it's like, where did where does
1: it come from? Like, where did it all stem I mean, think from? Of it has how, to be a single, single source the, if you go far enough back. Think of all the fork, fo- folklore's. You know, all the yeah. cottonmouths chase you. The cooties roll roll up into a ball and and not a ball into a wheel yeah, and yeah. roll down after you you know there's so many just, there's so many lore's behind it all man and like i saw one the other day that i thought was absolutely ridiculous this lady was convinced that copperheads had a spiny tail that was that could inject you with with poison oh i've heard that one you know and <laughs> uh, it's like man and, and they said it cuz it was the green tail i'm like you do you realize that's gone after uh, not that long of a time People like shit. like how does this even I uh,
0: yeah, yeah it's i don't know it's ridiculous. just interesting to think about like at some point yeah. there had to be a like okay this information got enough ears to where then it became like a, a false truth yeah i guess i don't know I don't yeah know. I don't know.
3: well it's, yeah i've always like tried to kind of understand that as well and i've always thought like well, maybe it's just because we don't see them all the time. Yeah. But, like, you think about some other things that, like, especially, like, animals and stuff that you don't necessarily see all the time. But I always go back to, like, rodents, right? So, like, a lot of people are maybe not – maybe fear is the wrong thing. I mean, it sure seems like fear when somebody sees a mouse and they scream and jump five feet in the air. This is like, what is that mouse going to do to you except for maybe yeah. give you some – nasty disease if you like literally find their nest or whatever and are breathing it in but like mice don't really pose any real threat to us or rats Mm -hmm. but people are still like kind of scared of them same things with like raccoons and opossums people kind of have that general fear of them and i've always wondered if it comes from just that we don't see them all the time and I don't then
0: see how you can be scared of a possum though i mean yeah. i see that and i just laugh well, I, I, think, looking
1: things ever. I think it's the right. I, I almost think there's there is like a theme with it though and it's stuff that's like around your ankles the small stuff Maybe. that you don't really like it's good scur- the scurry the stuff that scurries along the ground it's, i think you get surprised by the, it yeah, yeah when i worked at walgreens you.
0: we had a rat problem right yeah. this was yeah. like forever ago right And we'd have these rats, and there was one in particular that I named Rambo, because he would hang out in the candy (laughs) aisle, and he would, like, he'd always eat the, like, here's the weird thing, okay? So he would eat the outside of the regular Whoppers, but he would eat the inside of the peanut butter Whoppers. But what would happen is, after closing, the lights would turn off, right, for the most part, except for, like, half of them. And he would just be sitting on the shelf, but he wouldn't move until you were, like, on him. And so you wouldn't see him, because he's frozen. And so he used to scare the ever-loving shit out of me, man, because like I'd be cleaning, like I'd be facing the island and cleaning up everything and making everything look presentable, and then all of a sudden he'd just like take off. And this <coughs> wasn't a small rat; like he was pretty big, man. And so it was like that 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 always kind of freaked me out because it was like I know he was, it was like a jack in the box. Yeah. Like I know he's there, I just don't know, I can't see him at the moment. When you, when and so it's, it's like pop. exactly. And so we'd see those in like the stock room and stuff, and it always kind of freaked me out because it's like you yeah. they're there, but you don't know they're there until you're damn near touching them, and then right. it's like. Ahh! they run off and they're all fast and they squeal and just but if i see a rat at like p and cody's in the rat barn i'm like yeah it's a rat cool yeah i don't know it's it's strange
3: yeah no that that is an interesting aspect because like yeah maybe it is more of the startle Mm -hmm. factor of it versus because like yeah if you look at a rodent in a you know bin or something or it's not really anything or even like lab rats and mice and stuff. Like if you were to go and look at one of those, you're not going to be like, Oh man. Yeah. But when it's running around unexpected, maybe that's, that's I mean, it's the, the same key. with
0: snakes that get out. Like when I found that Jansen, I was like, Oh shit. It was like that, yeah. that minute of like adrenaline. Like, you know what I mean? Like that just like, Oh, there it is. And it's, yeah. and then after that, like <laughs> half a second, it's like, okay, let's get it. Yeah. yeah. Or that you no know, the gray bands I'd find a gray band on the floor I'm like what, like what the hell yeah didn't even know it was out and there it is like <laughs> yeah you know, <laughs> for a second caveman brain <laughs> yeah for a second
3: I thought you said Jameson I like no Jameson's mamas was like yeah I'd be pretty terrified
0: yeah no Jameson's like I'd
1: be scared
0: <laughs> I experienced I that like, at P and Cody's though because because Gio was oh, cleaning yeah. mambas and one of the, the one of the Jamesons decided to go on an proof stroll but it went behind some stuff. And so I'm sitting there with a hook, like waiting for this thing to jet out. And like, of course, you know, everything like, all everything's clear and off the floor, but I'm so tall that I'm like, if this thing comes out from under something, like it's, it's going to, it's going to tag me. Yeah. It's going to get me. I'm not even <laughs> yeah. going to be able to see it. And so I had like yeah. the longest hook. I'm just waiting. And it, it felt like we were wading through the water and there was a <laughs> shark. And we we're like trying to figure out where it is and who it's going to
1: hit first. You guys are in that scene of anaconda yeah. where they're exactly. waiting. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: But... Yeah, Mamba's Mamba's uh, getting out. Especially Jamesons are are never fun. I was at a Kentucky Reptile Zoo. Um, they're friends of ours, and we were talking to him. At, well, Jim Harrison, he does all the venom extraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was working at Jameson, Eye, and we were like back behind one of their exhibits, and he was tubing it up to extract from it, and this thing. Like he had just pulled like three black mambas, like big black mambas, yeah. and they were like puppy dogs compared to this Jameson. Dude, and the Jameson's I, like, and the westerns this thing are the worst. Is nuts. Yeah, and,
0: and I mean I've seen mambas move, but until you've seen it, like a scared mamba move, <laughs> Oh. have yeah. seen a mamba. Like move. when that happened, the when <laughs> yeah. that happened over the weekend, like I don't usually get very nervous around venomous snakes, but straight up, like I was standing there like, this is real. Yeah, it, like this I was is like a real this, thing. I was like this is. I'm not. I'm. I don't well, like this. Like I'm usually well, not like that. Like the big bothrops, whatever. When he opens the cage, they come flying out. It's expected. Like the mambas, I expect them to go somewhere. But then when they go somewhere, and you're like, it's in the corner. We know where. It, where it we go. know the general <laughs> vicinity of where it is. But, and I mean, their fac- like this isn't saying that they don't know. Like their facility is built so that if anything like that happens, it can't go anywhere. It's still contained in that room. So it wasn't like, it got well, out yeah, into the wilds out, or anything out, like that. Yeah. But it's still like you're in a room. There's five-foot Jameson's Mamba somewhere in the corner. We know, like, where it's at, but you don't know... I mean, when they want to move, dude, they move. Like, they're stupid So that's
3: why I think... I think that's why they're so terrifying. Like, compared to, like, some of, like, the Bothrops Mm -hmm. or, you know, Cobras and stuff that that can really move extremely quickly. Even Taipans. Taipans are like that. They are either super chill or, like, a... uh cobra on speed like they are so fast mm-hmm. but as long as you stay out of their way as far as like where your feet are if they're on the ground like you can just step out of the way i mean with most stuff you can just back up or, or get right, out of the way right. but with mambas like they're just so fast and with their arboreal nature like i don't think you can really work a mamba and be 100 percent out of the strike range mm-hmm at any given time because they're just
0: and like they're so fast yeah the big the big blacks that cody has like those like yeah if they wanted to move they can move but they're not going to be nearly as fast it's those smaller ones that geo is working with oh yeah the ones that are like a yearling wire like oh like these are all the they're all the these are the ones to to worry about like the tiny ones fresh out of the egg sure the adults like the big adults sure but it's those
1: like the tweens yeah, that the you're yeah. like,
0: oh, like I watched Geo work some of those those yearling black mamas, just full of piss and vinegar. Yeah, dude, watching him work those things, it was like you could tell. Like if you were slow, they were fine, but like the moment Geo made any sort of like quick movement, that like pseudo hood started. And yeah. you see him kind of gape a little bit, and then they would start to like <laughs> they're would <they'd>, like juke, <laughs> like they'd be like they'd be like trying to fake you out. Like I'm going left, I'm going right. Which one is it? <laughs> Where am I going? Yeah. Where am I going? <laughs> Yeah, it was wild.
1: That's funny.
3: Yeah, cool. mambas are, are just like that. Like, you literally have to adjust your level of uh, speed and, like, adrenaline according to with them. Like, if you're moving super slow, like, they're pretty chill and stuff. But if they're going fast, like, you've got to be fast. But then you got to be able to come right back down to mm-hmm. a very calm demeanor even after they've just, like, Jerked around and done their little neurotic mamba thing and go right back to like, okay, gonna slowly touch you. Please don't do that again.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, yeah mambas are no joke. So, geo, but I'm glad Gio was even, a pro uh, man. geo did it. Yeah. He worked with, I think, all the species well, the other night, and I mean, he did fine and it did great.
3: Well, I think that's one of the the things that, I mean, Cody and Pia have been uh, huge. They're new to the Abronia Alliance, but they've Mm -hmm. really kind of taken on um, a conservation role with Abronia, which Cody, if I'm sure when he listens to this, he's going to be happy to hear it. But Cody really did start the uh, passion for Abronia for forest, which Mm -hmm. I can partially give credit for my own passion and kind of where a Abronia Alliance came to be because of uh, Cody just teasing Forrest about wanting to get a Abronia all this time <laughs> and then hearing about their uh, battle about it. It was so funny. Like, whenever Forrest would do something about Abronia, he would, like, brag it to me. Like, he's gonna be like, man, Cody's going to be so pissed. Like, <laughs> I remember when he showed me his license plate that he had that was a bronia. He was like, oh, Cody's going to hate this. And I was just like, yep. Yep, he's absolutely going to.
0: But See, it's funny because it's a natural fit for them with all the Bothrieka stuff they do, you know. Yeah, like it's like that. It it makes it's no surprise to me that they would they would somehow get involved with that because it's like they're already highly focused on on you know the Central American cloud forest pit vipers and stuff like that. that absolutely, they go hand in and, hand.
3: Yeah, and that's one of the cool things. And I won't give too much of a spoiler because it's very much still in the idea phase but um i kind of discussed a little bit with cody um, and some of the rest of the abronia alliance kind of team Mm -hmm. but with abronia being obviously a, a species that's under a lot of concern and being a very big habitat specialist into cloud forests there was some discussion of taking a Brony Alliance and making that actually a smaller entity of a much larger kind of corporation organization network kind of thing that really is pulling in a lot of people to work with and have that mindset of conserving the species in the wild with a vast different amount of taxa. So, you know, doing something more like, Instead of it being a Bronia Alliance, having a Bronia Alliance as part of this bigger entity that might focus on a Bronia. And then you might have a kind of subsect that focuses on palm vipers and another subsect that focuses on dart frogs. And with that, we can kind of wholeheartedly and big picture focus on protecting cloud Mm -hmm. forest habitat or... Really just even almost putting the idea into the herb community of, hey, if you're going to work with this species, you should almost as like a tax be willing to give, I don't know, 5%, 10%, 25% of like your sales Mm -hmm. back into the conservation of those species. So for every person that works with, you know, ractactylists, okay, well. Crested geckos and gargoyles and leeches and chihuahuas are all amazing. But imagine a world where they no longer exist in the wild.
0: Right.
3: That's a, that's a pretty depressing thing. So mm-hmm. now what if every person that works with any rachidactylus species said, hey, you know, out of all my sales, I'm going to donate 5% back into habitat restoration of new caledonia and replanting pine or carnivorous yeah. uh, trees on one of the islands. Like, that would make such a huge difference. It, it, it would be unfathomable to think of the good that we could do for all of these species actually in the wild while enjoying and loving them and being fascinated by them in captivity. So Agreed. So again, just a little teaser, but how amazing would it be if we really kind of changed the perspective of even just a a handful of the community into thinking about putting their love for not only the captive sector but also the wild populations. Yeah.
0: Uh we'll, we'll definitely have to it, have so. a conversation about that cuz I'm more than willing to help. So Absolutely. So But we're the so big two, things. 2 hours has gone by very yeah. quickly
3: and it feels like it's been no time at all. Yeah.
0: That's how it works. Uh, where can people follow you and get in touch if they would like to somehow get involved?
3: Yeah. So that's a great question. So our two biggest ways to reach us are on our Instagram, which is just at Bronia Alliance. Mm-hmm. And then we also have a Facebook page. Um, again, a Alliance. Um, so you can, send us a message um dm uh comment on any of our pages we are still we are definitely reptile people and not social media people <laughs> so if we're ever not perfect in responding or anything we try our best to really make sure we're answering all the questions and helping give people information cuz It isn't just about us getting likes or follows or or anything on the social media, but it's really about building this community of people that can dedicate or even just help support this genus as a whole. So whether that's somebody who's never worked with a brony at all and just thinks, hey, they're an awesome species and wants to know more or somehow support by buying a T-shirt, which all the profits go back into um, any of our number of uh, people that we're going to work with down in Mexico and Guatemala. So like right now we have our Brony Ales. I was going to say, we haven't even uh, talked
0: about that. Go ahead and talk about a Brony Ales.
3: Yeah. So bronie Ales is our virtual fundraiser that's coming up on Saturday, the 29th. So it's right around the corner. You can still get tickets up to the actual – uh event i would say probably about maybe a half an hour before just so we don't miss anybody but if you want to get a ticket for that event we're gonna have myself kind of talking a little bit more about kind of the mission of Abronia alliance and kind of uh some of the different aspects of how it came to be and what we're looking at for the future of Abronia alliance uh, Dylan um, from Urban Arc Conservation is going to be talking about some of the husbandry aspects of Bronia, and then even some cool medical side of things like CT scans. Um, he's done some really fascinating stuff there. And then we have Andreas, um, who is a Guatemalan biologist that Cody and Pia are good friends with. and. Um, he's actually going to be talking about some of the status of a few of the different Bronia species that range in Guatemala and some of his experiences with finding those species in the wild. Um, So it's going to be an awesome event. We're going to have a lot of really good information. There's also an auction that we're doing. So we've got a bunch of unique Bronia themed items um, that you don't necessarily have to buy a ticket for to bid on for the event. But we will have a final round auction um, section uh, during the event. So if you really want something and you want to make sure you're not going to get outbid, grab a ticket to a Brony Ales. I got a ticket. Um, Yeah. So there's been a bunch of people pouring in, so it's not too late to get tickets. You still can. It's going to be an awesome event. And this is the first of hopefully many to come. Right now we've already seen some good profit margin, but there can be a lot more. All of our profits right now are going to Ranchitos de Quetzal, Mm -hmm. which is a ranch that specifically focuses on uh, Quetzals, which is a bird species, um, but they protect a bunch of cloud forest habitat. And that habitat is actually home to two incredibly rare species of abronia. It's Abronia Fimbriata and Abronia Gaiofantisma. Um, so by us doing this event, we're going to send all the profit from any of the t-shirt sales, the Bronia ales tickets, and then all the auction items to them to help them continue protecting that cloud forest. Because honestly, without it, uh, COVID has obviously been extremely uh hard financially on a lot of organizations Mm -hmm. and especially conservation organizations that are uh, really funded by a lot of tourism, which is not happening at all right now. So we are trying to do anything to help them protect that habitat because the tricky part with habitat uh, destruction is once it's gone, it takes 40 to 80 years. I mean, it takes a lifetime to replenish it. So we might as well focus on protecting the stuff that we do have still. Definitely. Because those species can't thrive without it. So if you want to get tickets, check out our Instagram or our Facebook on how to do it. But basically it's sending $25 to reptile preservation at gmail.com. We'll go ahead and send you that uh, link to get into the zoom call. And it's just going to be an awesome time. You also get a custom of Brony Ales glass, and then we'll mail you a, a Brony alliance sticker. So it's just a—it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I know, Justin, you are already registered. It's, yeah, what time is of, it starting again? That's a great question. It is starting at 7 o'clock uh, p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay, cool. So we tried to push it late enough where people, if they're getting off work or whatever, um, can still make sure to attend that. So. It is going to be a fantastic time, and I've got to say we can't we couldn't have done it without our friends over at Reptile Preservation Institute. Cody and Pia um, have been a huge asset, as well as everybody that's part of the Abronian Alliance team, from providing pictures to promoting the event. Mm-hmm. Um, we really have an awesome uh, group of people working on this that are just 100% dedicated to giving uh, – potential better outlook to the future of verbronia in the wild and in captivity. So love it. Awesome, man. Yeah. We, we yeah. appreciate it, man. This is yeah, a great thanks episode for coming
1: on. This was a very yeah. informative. And,
3: yeah. And thank you guys for having us, you know, um, you guys have been doing an awesome thing with the herpetoculture network and the podcast. Um, I just would say, keep it up because we really are, um, on the foremost cusp of changing perspective of reptiles and amphibians. So what you guys are doing is, is amazing. So just Thank keep you, doing it. Man. Thank
0: you, man. We'll definitely Appreciate have to have you on again just to talk about the zoo stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll definitely. I, again. I I might
3: not be able to talk nearly as much as Cody, yeah. <laughs> but I might run a close second. No, I it's definitely want
0: to get Cody on again. We just we gotta we gotta schedule that one out in just advance so we can be prepared. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Like have maybe like a week of just yeah, uh yeah. you know recording dedicated for him we'll just go for like six
0: hours and just cut it up into three episodes make it a three part
3: yeah (laughs) whenever i talk to him on the phone it's the only time i'm ever like silent is when i'm talking to him
1: (laughs) so all right brother we appreciate it man thanks again guys yeah man take it easy right see ya That was a good one, man. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that was really good. Not that I don't enjoy all of them,
0: but I yeah. really enjoyed that. Yeah. Hey, this is the kind of stuff that I like. like. It's not snakes, but we have an interest in it still. Yeah. Like, we're talking about a bromia bromia, and I'm over here eyeballing this terror yeah. orb I got in the corner <laughs> that ain't being <laughs> I used. Saw,
1: <laughs> I saw you. Look at you. Like, uh. but, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where to put that. I was going to save
0: yeah. it for, like, a boiger or something,
1: but... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But... This has been another episode. This is episode ninety three. Ninety three. Sorry for the, the two week hiatus. Yes, we was busy, but,
0: we but it makes back. you glad that we're yeah. back that much more. Yep. You don't know what you got until it's gone. We had to make <laughs> you miss us a little bit before we could bring you something. <laughs> We've been
1: hitting it hard for a long time straight, man. And that mic Every is week. awesome. Yeah, for twenty five dollars, dude. Yeah, you can't beat this. It's nuts. Yeah.
0: It's amazing. He's got one of these Behringer Ultra, what's it say? Ultra Voice 2800s or
1: something like that. 8500. 8500. XM 8500 Behringer. It's awesome. Ultra Voice. I love it. Ultra Voice. Very nice.
0: This episode was brought to you by Steve Snakeshuary and his
1: Venom hot sauce. And MP Cages and Exotics with Cages and Racks Custom. Our boy Sean. I gotta talk to Sean soon and see what's
0: going on. He's
1: been busy with work Yeah, I haven't heard heard from him much. But thank y'all for listening and we will catch y'all next week. Later. Later.